Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And I'm over here in Trinidad and Tobago in the South Caribbean, uh, which is technically part of North America, even though it's much closer to South America. It's about uh, 15 or 20 kilometers from uh, Venezuela in South America. And we have a guest today, Shane Dallas. He's actually in Nairobi, Kenya in Africa. Uh, so through the miracle and the beauty of technology, we're able to connect even though we're in two different cities, in two different countries, in two different time zones, uh, but through uh, you know things like Google Hangout and iTunes, uh, we're able to connect. Uh, Shane is definitely a veteran in the travel industry. Uh, he's been at it for you know over ten years, traveling around the world, uh, making money through things like speaking and consulting and setting up campaigns and uh, running um, you know a different. Um, campaigns for tourism boards and companies and brands. Um, so Shane uh, uh, is known as the Travel Camel, uh, so we'll be finding out a little bit more about that. He's also the director of TBEX in uh, Europe and Asia, and he's helping out with the one in Africa because that's where he is right now. And uh, we're gonna be asking him about uh, his travel journeys and how he makes income online. So Shane, uh, how is it over there in uh, Nairobi, Kenya currently? Uh, the weather is always wonderful here, but probably 95% of the year, the temperatures between 20 and 30 Celsius, which is 68 to 86 Fahrenheit. And today was one of those days that only just made it to that 68 mark. And so I was down the shops earlier and you can see people rugged up. That for Kenya, for Nairobi is considered quite cool. Uh, anything under 20 Celsius, 68. So the weather here is, is the best climate I've seen anywhere in the world. Wow, amazing. I always uh, pictured, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, super hot and unbearable, but uh, I'm glad you're, you're, you're saying that it's a little bit more, little bit more moderate. Uh, I'm here in Trinidad and Tobago, and it's uh, not what you picture when you think of the Caribbean. When you think of the Caribbean, you think blue skies, sunny weather, but unfortunately, I'm actually in rainy season. Uh, so if you're watching or, um, uh, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see it's a little bit cloudy behind me. Um, here, I'm here at the guest house. If you're just listening to this, make sure you watch the video version as well. Uh, but here in the Caribbean is beautiful, hot weather, wearing my t-shirt and shorts, and I'm loving it compared to my hometown of Vancouver, BC, Canada, which is usually too cold for my liking. Uh, Shane, uh, to start off with, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your background. Uh, what were you doing back in Australia where you're from, and what made you leave it all behind to travel the world? Well, I've always been a traveler. Uh, my, I've always wanted to travel and learn more about the world. That's why I travel, to learn more about the world and its people. And I'd always traveled and I drove around Australia and that was over 20,000 kilometers and that didn't go around the whole lot. I even took some shortcuts and I still racked up about 21,000 kilometers. So I took a lot of trips and then I always wanted to go overseas. And my first trip was New Zealand, was 1986. And then uh, my first overseas trip was end of 91 and I'd saved for years to go away. And uh, the original plan was to go into Europe, was to Spain. There were three things that were on in Spain in 1992. The first one was the Barcelona Olympics. The second was the World Expo in Sevilla. And the third was the running of the bulls. And there was four of us. And uh, as we got close to the date, we went from four to three to two to me. And I thought, there's no way I'm gonna miss this opportunity, there's no way. So I ended up spending about a year in Europe. Now this is pre-Schengen. And uh, pre-Schengen, it was much easier to travel through Europe than post-Schengen, guarantee you. Uh, I could go anywhere, I could stay anywhere for as long as I liked. There was no 90 days and 180 day rule. I basically was in Europe from November 1991 
to late October 1992. And with the exception of a break in Turkey for about seven weeks, I was on the continent the whole time and no one cared. And that really gave me a taste of, of travel. And then I came back to Australia, spent a lot more time traveling around Australia. And then when I got a job with the government as a government investigator, it gave me paid holidays, which I didn't have when I worked for myself. And then I started traveling again. And then I started delving into the Middle East and places such as Africa and Asia a lot more. And then I was made redundant at the end of 2012. And I made a fairly quick decision. I didn't have a lot of time to consider what I had to do. And I basically packed up and I left. And that was December 17, 2012. And I've been on the road ever since. And I haven't been back to Australia since that time. Awesome. Uh Focuses on travel and uh, taking the road less traveled. And uh, I mean, there's a famous saying: uh, "I've taken uh, I've taken the road less traveled, and has made all the difference." And uh, you know, that's what we do as our family. We don't uh, do the typical family vacation to Disneyland or to Mexico or to Hawaii. We've gone to places like Suriname and Guyana and French Guyana and uh, you know Paraguay, now Trinidad and Tobago. So not the typical family tourist destinations. And that that's made all the difference, you know, inspiring others to travel, etc. So tell us about um, some of your philosophy on taking the road less traveled and where are some of your places that you visited, uh, Shane? Okay, my philosophy on the road less traveled is it allows a more genuine and a more immersive experience because a lot of the infrastructure isn't geared towards tourists. It's easier to go to these places and not find international uh, hotel chains, which I must admit, I do like them. <laughs> I do really like them. But you won't find international fast food restaurants or international coffee houses. It's all local. And so for me, it's it just allows a different experience. And also I find that when there's less tourists in an area, the welcome you get is more genuine. You're less likely in a less touristed area getting someone approach you to overcharge you in a taxi or to take you to their car shop or perfume shop or their souvenir shop. If people want to talk to you just because they want to talk to you, because you effectively become the tourist attraction. Now, I have I've been to over 100 countries now, and my top six, and this is probably the top three are in order, and the next three vary depending on my mood. Uh, the, my favorite destination is still India. I've spent three months there in two visits, and it feels like the whole world crammed into one country. I mean, you have a billion people, so it's a lot. It's just such a diversity in terms of cuisine, in terms of language, in terms of religion, everything. It's, there's nothing quite like India. Number two is Iran. Uh, Iran was actually my 100th country that I, and I visited that last year. And the, the, the hospitality there, again, Middle East is the most hospitable part of the world. And for me, Iran, just the buildings and the culture and the food and the poetry and the music, and it just oozes everywhere. There's something special. Number three was Syria, and this was in this was before the current uh, war there uh, in 2008. Syria was number two until I saw Iran, so Syria was number three. Again, similar to Iran in all the things I described, history, attractions, and culture, and food, and hospitality. Uh, the difference being it's because it's a smaller country, there's less of it, which is why Iran topped. And the next, the four, five, and six, I slightly blow the top three and they vary. One is North and South Korea. Um, and I consider both Koreans the Korean Peninsula because it's the contrast between going to Pyongyang Metro Station or Pyongyang train station 
and the Seoul train station is a perfect uh, antithesis of the difference between north and south. So I think the combination is amazing. Uh, the next one on the list, Japan. Uh, I love Japan. I think I enjoy the Korean Peninsula more, but Japan, there's something special about the country and its people and everything about it. And then number six, or the sixth one in my top six, is Ethiopia. Uh, I've been there six times. My favorite country in Africa. Uh, it, there is something very unique about Ethiopia, not like anything you've ever seen before. I mean, they even still use the old clock system, which comes from thousands, you know, a couple of thousands years ago. So they start their day at uh, when it sunrises, effectively six o'clock in the morning. That's their twelve o'clock. So if you're saying to someone in Ethiopia, I meet you at 5, you're actually saying you're going to meet them at 11 a.m., not 5 p.m. So you need to find out, is it local time or is it European time? Uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is steeped in history, and it's, it's far older than the churches and the uh, Christianity in Western Europe. So you see probably the church as it was very close to when it started 2,000 years ago. So uh, to me, Ethiopia is a very an exceptionally special place. Uh, it's probably my number four, actually. The more I think of it, the more I'm, I'm drawn to it. It's, there's something very special. So they're my top six. There's plenty of others as well, but we're only, we don't have all day, do we? <laughs> you know, I love talking about travel, and I almost could do any of these four, 12-hour interviews. I think it will be the heart of the years and the eyes of some of us watching that long. And I, I definitely can relate to a lot of the places you mentioned. I'm actually Indian, uh, you know, surprise, surprise. And uh, uh, even though I'm born in Vancouver, BC, Canada, when I go to India, I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a whole different world, even though I'm Indian. Uh, it's kind of weird to say that because uh, um, I think my mindset and, uh, you know, my thinking, my heart, etc., are much more Canadianized, Westernized. So when I go there, I feel like the massive culture shock that, uh, you know, uh, people who are non-Indian uh, uh, relate to. Uh, and uh, I, I've actually been to Syria as well, pre-war. And I love Syria and I love the Middle East. We did a Tur uh, Turkey to Cairo, uh, sorry, uh, Istanbul to Cairo overland through Turkey, um, Israel, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and then into Egypt and uh, love the Middle East. And I agree with you. I think the Middle East is probably one of the most hospitable places in the world. It's um, incredible. I, incredible. Yes. Yes. And I, I keep raving about, yeah, go on, go on. How, how great it is. Go on. You pointed out about going to India, coming, you know, from Canada and heading into India and it's a culture shock. But it's interesting that once you go to a few of these places and in the Middle East, I've seen almost all the countries there. I've been in Iraq or Kurdistan, Yemen, and, and the list goes on and places in Central Asia and Africa, uh, there's an energy and in Asia, there's no cities quite like Asian cities. The Middle East is effectively Asia. But so you can go to Singapore and everyone says, and I know you've been to Singapore recently, and people say, oh, Singapore's this, this, and controlled. Well, let me tell you, you go to Singapore in Chinatown any weeknight at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and the place is buzzing. Now, there is no European city that I know, with the exception of maybe a couple in Spain that can match that. And it's any night of the week. And that's not a huge city. You can go to any, even a small Asian city, and it still has that energy. And what I find is that once you start traveling to these destinations, you find places like Europe and Australia, where I come from, and North American cities, as wonderful as they are, they just seem a little bit duller. They just don't seem to draw you in. Now, I have to say European cities, cities such as Madrid and Paris and Rome and, and the most beautiful city in the world, Prague, they are truly astonishing to admire the architecture and it, there's just something special about them but for energy nothing beats asian and especially middle eastern cities 
And so once you start taking the road less traveled, you will start to view the rest of your travels differently. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I agree with you on so many fronts. It is so hard to find any country in the world without McDonald's and Starbucks and Burger King, KFC. And, uh, you know, whenever you see it, uh, you're almost relieved. You're like, oh, my God, there's no fast food here. And, uh, you know, let's enjoy and like, re rejoice in the local cuisine. Uh, because even uh, as a traveler, sometimes it's tempting just to go uh, to the easiest place, which is usually fast food. And it's kind of familiar. So uh, I, I wish there were more countries and cities you know ironically you're in Africa and uh, I was in uh, South Africa just uh, two months ago and I was surprised South Africa is so developed yet they don't have one Starbucks in the entire country yet so I was like amazing amazing you no, know, keep no, it up South Africa no, no there's Domino's and Domino's and KFC here in Kenya I was just in KFC not long ago before we chatted but uh, there's no McDonald's mm. and uh, you don't find a lot of McDonald's on the African continent should I say sub-Saharan mm. Africa? You'll find them in Egypt, but in the sub-Saharan, I've yet to see McDonald's. And I mean, you know, I mean, out of all the major continents, I think Antarctica and Africa are pretty much the road that's traveled because they are pretty much the hardest ones to get to them. Uh, most expensive for Antarctica and Africa, definitely uh, hard logistically to get visas and to travel to the 54 countries. So Shayna, tell us about your own personal brand. It's called the Travel Camel. And it's very unique, obviously, just in the, the sound of it. So tell us more about how you developed that branding and, uh, you know, what you write about on your site. I, I don't really do as much from my site anymore. A lot more of my work's on social media. And people always ask me about the hat. Why do I wear the hat? Now, the first trip I wore the hat was North Korea in 2009. That was the first time I wore it. And I just like it. I love the fedora. The fedora is a very nice hat. And as you get older, I think it's easier to wear hats. I'm over 50 now. And uh, this is an Indiana Jones fedora. So it is the actual real thing. And I took the Indiana Jones badge off and I replaced it with a camel pin that I bought on Etsy. <laughs> so it was a very good purchase. But uh, so I wear the hat and people go say, because it's a gimmick. No, it's just, I, I love wearing hats. You know, I love wearing this hat. So that's really the reason. The Road Less Traveled is because I love it. It's, I'm, I gravitate towards it more. My favorite travel experiences generally come from those places. I feel when I was living in Australia, if I wasn't in either Africa or Middle East for a couple of years, I could feel it whispering to me. It's almost as if the desert in the Middle East was whispering me to return or the acacia trees at sunrise would start talking to me. <laughs> and I felt I had to return. So now being based here and doing a lot of my work into Dubai, it's, it's, a perf it's just perfect. It's perfect for me. So really it just came about because these are the destinations I really love. And these are the destinations that make me smile more than any other. And I love traveling anywhere. I'm at home anywhere in the world. But put me in a place, you know, such as anywhere in Africa or Middle East or Central Asia or India. And I, I just came back from Kathmandu uh, a few weeks ago and I was just sitting there watching sunset over the stupas and the temples and I was smiling. I think this is why I travel. It's this energy. <laughs> this is what I seek. And so it, the brand was not a conscious thing. And I think when a lot of people doing this, they say, oh, you know, what's my niche? What's my niche? And I say, don't, don't bother with any niche. Don't, don't bother with it. You find your voice. So you can, for example, talk about, oh, I want to be a budget, uh, uh, a budget backpack blogger in Southeast Asia. Well, guess what? There's a lot of them. You need to tell the story only you can tell. And for me, I, yeah, I take the road less travel and other people do as well, but I try to look at it from a, tri a slightly different perspective. Uh, 
more of a culture, more of an understanding part. And that's my voice. And that's why you'll never see me do a top 10 list uh, unless it's a guest post on another site. But it's not something I do. I, I try to get people to talk more about experiences. And what has happened is since I've left, I've discovered that social media for me, I seem to have a lot more influence. So I started, I'm co-founder along with Savannah, uh, Grace of the Roadless Travel Twitter chat. We have Anton and Jess, who are our, our co-hosts, permanent hosts. And we're, we've had 191 weeks without a break now. <laughs> so we're the second longest chat uh, current run without a break of any travel Twitter chat. So it's, we try to encourage other people to do the same, to see something a bit different. So it's it just happened that way. You, you find out when you're looking for something, you'll you'll gravitate. You'll find you'll move into the space where you're meant to be. If you just try to copy everyone else, it, it's not going to work, people. We don't want yet another budget backpack Southeast Asian blogger. We we don't need it. And yes, if you're going to be a luxury blogger, that's all very good. But what's the what's the story only you can tell? And it has to be a bit different. And that is something that I seek. And I'm conference director of TBX Europe, not Asia. I must say I'm not Asia. I'm Europe and Africa. But And what I'm seeking to do there is some of the lessons I learned is telling people, and, and the program I put together is showing people how they can view their website as a business and not a blog. So you need to view your website as a business and how you can think more entrepreneurial and be more like an entrepreneur when you look at your website. And so for me, what's happened is the travel camel, you know, I don't blog as much now. I do things such as I do corporate training and social media. I do a lot of public speaking. I'm leading tours now. My first tour is coming up only a few weeks away now in uh, Tajikistan. I've got one for Iran. Next year, I'm offering one in Kenya. If you want to see the, the great migration, 2 million wildebeest, uh, let's let's chat, shall we? <laughs> because I'm trying to organize that for early September. I'm just negotiating with the provider now. And Egypt as well. And you can see behind me on the wall some uh, souvenirs from Egypt. You were mentioning your trip from uh, Istanbul to Cairo. So, yeah, th these are places that, again, are not really the usually traveled places. And they're places that I all love. I all love in a different way. You know, Tajikistan's the greatest road trip I've done. Kenya, the great migration to see two to be part of a group of two million animals crossing from Serengeti in Tanzania into the Mara in Kenya is nothing short of astonishing. Egypt, spend time in those temples. Don't go in a big group and spend 10 minutes and leave. Spend time, soak it in, feel it. Just feel the, just feel what it's like, feel the history, feel there's something in them. And that's what I want to give people in Iran well. Hospitality, culture, food, everything is why it's my number two country. And so this is what I've gone. So branching more out into these areas uh, because I find it's it's one thing to, for example, do guest posts and and accept, you know, accept sponsored posts and all this. And in the end, but people, you, people need to think a bit more entrepreneurial, uh, I think, in, in this thing. So you might decide to host tours. You might decide to write ebooks. You might do, decide to do consulting. You, you've just got to be more creative because uh, there's a lot of people out there competing for the same space. And if you can offer something quite different, uh, and I know for TBX Island, I've got a panel I've put together on creative earning ideas. So this is going just beyond pitching. This is doing something very creative. And it's the people, and at TBX, so I've managed to grab in and you know tap on the shoulder a few people and others have applied, of course, some very creative individuals. and. That's what I wanted to be because I wish someone had told me that a few years ago. 
and that's why I'm telling everyone now uh, what I've learned on, on this journey. Awesome, Shane. Um, you know, you mentioned TBAX, and I'm familiar with it as a fellow travel blogger here, but uh, a lot of people don't really know much about TBAX. They might have heard about it in passing. So why don't you give us a quick rundown of, uh, you know, a little bit of the history of TBAX. What is it? Why is it beneficial for people to visit? I know you're a great ambassador of it, so tell us more. Okay, so TBEX, the next TBEX in Ireland will be the, to the best of my knowledge, the 20th TBEX. And they originally started in North America and then brought, branched out into Europe. And there have been other TBEXs, of course. In um, There was one in Jerusalem earlier this year, and we've had a couple of in Asia now in Bangkok and Manila. And the object was originally it was called Travel Blog Exchange, but it's a lot bigger, a lot different from that now. And what I've done, and I know a lot of people who will, who have gone to TBEX in the past, and I've, I've been this myself, I've been to speaking three times, and they'll talk about, well, the, the content seems to be aimed at, and I hear this all the time, that it's aimed at uh, you know, beginner level content and it's aimed at newbies. Now, the, the fact is that uh, it's actually not. And I know with this TBEX, I have told everyone that your content must be advanced. You, you have to provide advanced content, which is, uh, there's a lot of the basic stuff you can find out on the net, and there's plenty of Facebook groups. So I'm saying to people, what I want is I want, I want this is what I'm telling the speakers, I want advanced, one. I want specific, so you give us specific examples and practical. You know, I want practical stuff that people can take away. And this TBEX, the whole, the whole thing has changed for this year, so we're even having a introductory session. So people who are really new, who are unsure, there'll be a workshop a couple of days before that will be for people who are just starting out to give them a bit of the grounding. But once you get to the TBEX conference, it will be more advanced, so it will require that knowledge. And so we've got we've renamed all the tracks. So instead of the old tracks, we've got now a, a track dedicated to the video, one to photo, one to strategy, one to social media, one to writing, one to uh, tourism, one uh, uh, marketing, pitching. <laughs> There's nine tracks now, and before there were only four. So the whole lot's changed, and it's, it's extremely exciting. And what happened is uh, when I knew that the position was vacant, I actually poked Rick and said, I think I, I've got some ideas that can really make TBEX sing <laughs> that can really make a difference and people can leave there with a more entrepreneurial focus a more business focus to what they do and uh, he obviously liked it because he contacted me and said I'd like you to be conference director of TBEX Europe and uh, and uh, Tim is conference director of TBEX North America so the role is now being split and that is really what it's about it's a, it is the best opportunity you have anywhere anywhere in the world to meet people in your industry because out there it can feel very alienating you're writing you're blogging you're sending pictures in and there's no one around you i mean gosh i mean here in nairobi there's no one there's no one that does this and it wasn't until because i'd been down here for a while and it wasn't i got i was invited to tbex in stockholm and people came up to me said oh the travel camel shane i love your hat and all this and probably three quarters of people in that room you know in that conference of 500 people knew me and my partner maureen and i came back and i said you know all this work we're doing together she works on this with me i said um people are noticing it actually people are noticing and it was it was quite overwhelming that people had actually noticed and but importantly when you're out there and you're doing this all on your own there are frustrations people who think because you travel you're on a holiday okay which we know is not true when you're in this job and when you get to tbex everyone there is going to understand it and the first time I went to TBEX was 2013, and it was a major revelation. 
it, it expanded my view of what you could do in this role and its job and expanded the view of all the other people out there who are like me doing their own things, yet we shared that interest of being an online influencer and being online travel media and the, the same concerns, the same doubts, the same things I needed to learn, they all had the same. And for me, there's nothing like TBEX for that. There is nothing in the world for bringing hundreds of people together and suddenly you're amongst colleagues and friends. And I would strongly recommend. And I, yeah, look, I mean, but I've been saying this before I was conference director for TBEX. So this is nothing new. <laughs> okay, it's not because I'm getting paid now. It genuinely, it, there is nothing quite like it. And for me, if you want to get to meet some of the luminaries in the industry, uh, and they're all very friendly and approachable, or you want to meet other people like you, you can collaborate with, you can talk with, you can share ideas. You, you've got to go. You've got to go. There's nothing like it. Yeah, and I almost feel like the networking, um, you know, alone, because uh, where else can you meet all of the, your, uh, I guess, idols, if you want to call it that? I mean, the, the gurus of the industry, uh, you know, the, uh, the Planet D's or the Nomadic Mats or the Gary uh, Arntz. I mean, all these people are quite well known and established in the industry, and uh, they usually hang out at places like TBAC. So I uh, highly recommend going to um, uh, one of the ones uh, around the world, and that's a great thing. Um, no matter where you are, there's pretty much one in every continent. Uh, so Shane, just um, quickly, Planet D, Dave and Deb, they're our, they're our keynote speakers, opening keynote for Ireland. So, yeah, yep, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw that. Uh, so tell us about some of the ways that you're generating income, and uh, what would you give advice to someone who's in uh, travel blogging and has no way to start? And uh, let's go with what you said. Uh, give us some uh, advanced, specific, and practical <laughs> advice, not the generic. <laughs> okay, the most important thing is. Try to do something where you can easily put value on what you do. Now, in places that are emerging markets, for example, the Middle East and Africa, and even parts of Asia, uh, trying to convince people that you're not media or not a journalist, and therefore, if we if we want you to give coverage to us, for example, or we shouldn't have to pay for it. So this is where you start. You need to add a product or add something that no one is going to argue that they won't charge. So for example, uh, I do training in social media. So if I'm going off and putting together a package, I will include social media training always. And the reason for that is no one expects to get social media training for free. Nobody in the world. So therefore, there's no argument about, oh, well, you know, we normally don't pay people for fans or anything like this. There's no argument. Okay, it's a really simple thing. Uh, I've heard from people, and there's conferences in Nepal, I heard that uh, pitching influence is weakening now. It's not as strong as it used to be. So what you need to pitch instead is a product. And therefore, a product might be, I will write articles for your website. I will give you photos for non-exclusive, unlimited use. I will, I will uh, if you have a background in marketing, this is where back, your background and what you do is very helpful. So if you have a background in marketing or PR, you can say, well, I will provide consultancy to you. And therefore, it's something more tangible. Uh, I, I tend to offer the uh, training and the photographs because my I've done photography since I was, whoa, for more than four decades, I have loved my photography. I've had a DSLR or an SLR, sorry, before the digital age since the 80s. So I've used one a lot and I, I know how to use one. And, it's something that I really love, and people know that know about my photography. 
So you need to offer something that is quite different. So if someone is saying for you, for example, uh, I need to promote my hotel. I need to promote my hotel. Uh, and, and if you come and stay, I'll give you a comp stay, and then you can write a, a blog post and some social media about it. I would take it to the next level. I would say to them, well, uh, do you let, how about we sit together, make this a bit of a marketing campaign, and let's identify areas in the market where there are gaps in your marketing strategy. And then you become a consultant. And then you say to them, well, I can write articles for you. I can give you my photos for non-exclusive, unlimited use. And then you turn it into a package. You add value that way. And by doing that, okay, you still may get a no. <laughs> that, that's okay. You're going to get no's. But at least you're trying to add a product, something that in every other case, if you're employing a consultant, if you're buying photos or articles, people expect to pay. And so you need to start targeting areas where people would normally expect to pay. And, and I'm referring specifically to emerging destinations. So, for example, a place, a place like Dubai, uh, to the best of my knowledge and from my contacts there, no one ever pays for uh, staying or for uh, trips. No one pays. You're nodding your head. head you agree. They, they, it just doesn't happen. So you need to think of something different. You need to come up with a strategy where you become a partner with them in a marketing. Now, I've done partnerships before with people. And we've had strategy meetings. They say, right, okay, we need to get a LinkedIn post out. We need to get this out. I need to do an interview for you. You need these photos that you can use for that. Uh, I also do radio. So I do uh, radio with American Forces Radio in Dubai Eye. And, and now I don't promise any radio work when I do it because I'm not a control of it. I'm, I'm just a guest. But these are things I can say that, you know, there is different facets to what I can provide, but I, I don't sell that. I don't sell influence. I sell actual products. And that would be my recommendation to people. Give them something tangible they can hold and take with them. I love that advice, Shane, uh, because I think uh, what most people do, they're pitching them uh, what's been pitched to them a hundred, if not a thousand times. Because a lot of these tourism boards, a lot of the hotels, um, uh, travel uh, companies, they get pitched all the time. I mean, especially the hot spots like, uh, uh, you know, anywhere in Europe, North America, et cetera. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, targeting the emerging markets, offering something like consulting, training, um, you know, photography, because they're all kind of like uh, monetized products. So, uh, yeah, great advice there. I also want to ask you about the sh social media uh, because social media is a huge topic and, uh, you know, people generally give uh, general advice too. Uh, you know, get more followers, get more engagement, uh, yeah, you know, uh, monetize that engagement. Uh, so tell us about your, uh, again, I'm going to throw it back at you here, uh, so the advanced, specific and practical tips on how to do social media well, um, you know, as a business and also as a blogger. Okay, I don't directly monetize my social media. Uh, I'll make it quite clear. I don't sell posts. I don't do that. Uh, I What instead, the most important thing with social media is what Gary Arndt said uh, at the most, or two TBEXs ago, he said you must have meaningful engagement. And he defined meaningful engagement as not someone who would just give you a like or retweet. It's someone who actually is prepared to, for example, go traveling with you, sit down and have a meal with you. It is something more practical. Now, it's interesting when he said that, I said to Gary, yeah, I said, that's exactly what I did with my tours. So off of Tajikistan, it's sold out. We've had one drop off since then due to health reasons, but it's sold out. And uh, on social media, so I could, go to, I could go to any of the 
luxury camps here in, in Kenya who do the Mara migration. And I can say, well, how about I come in and uh, and I come and you can get me to your camp and I do a few social media posts. It's a bit harder to convince than if I say to them, okay, here's the deal. You give me a tour leader rate, right? And will you come up with a package to me? And then I will do the marketing and I will get people come in to join me on the tour. And then you get money because obviously you get charged. And then I earn because obviously I'm packaging everything together. And then suddenly social media becomes more useful. So I sold out Tajikistan purely on social media. I, di I didn't spend one Kenyan shilling, one UAD or one Aussie dollar, <laughs> one Indian rupiah, nothing. I spent nothing on advertising it. We sold it out. And so this was a really important lesson. So for social media, it's got to be meaningful engagement. It's not just posting. And one thing I've learned, learned with social media and particularly with Instagram is it's better to post less and engage more. Uh, therefore, you reach a law of diminishing returns. If you post every day, you're basically posting against yourself, I think. And if you're posting less often, less often, then what happens is on that top line of Instagram, once you've got your fourth photo, your top three photos drop. So the longer it is on that top line, the more people are going to see it because once you've got your fourth photo, you drop down. So if you're posting every day, that means that your photo is only on, on, on your top line for um, a few days. If you post twice a week, it's going to be there a week. Now, we were able with this strategy uh, to get our, we were getting around 75 to 78 uh, on clout, but uh, we've had a few distractions recently, <laughs> such as starting a family. <laughs> we've just started a family here. And therefore, it is, our, our clout has dropped a bit because we've effectively gone from two working on it to one. But we'll pick up again. We'll pick up again for sure. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, just getting back on there and uh, spending a bit more time. But certainly with social media, I'd say quality is better than quantity. Post less and engage more. Uh, you're going to reach a saturation point where that extra post is maybe only going to benefit you this little bit. So best to maybe concentrate on three or four social media. Mine is Twitter, 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 Twitter. Twitter chat's wonderful. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, my personal, I don't do much. And I used to be huge on Google+, Plus, but I've dropped that a bit because of these other family things that have come up. Obviously, all wonderful news. But once that settles, I'll get back into them with that. But pick your social media channels and really focus on them and, and try to build up a network of supporters or advocates for your brand. And, and other people that comment on your, on your posts a lot, aren't they? And you look at them, you identify them. Why don't you comment back to them? Why don't you go in and don't just say something on their Instagram, nice photo. You know, give a considered comment. Look, I really love the way you frame this photo. Look at the light. Or, you know, did you go to the that village down there at the bottom of the hill in that photo? Did you go and visit that? Uh, you know, well, I could ask you there the image that you've got here. And for those of the podcast can't see it, you know, I just saw someone walk past you there, and I could say, well, what else is in the area? What else did you explore? I keep seeing, you know, people wandering past you. Where are they going to? You know, be a bit more genuine in your engagement. And I think that's really important. And the great example of this is Charles McCool. Now, Charles McCool is one of the great influences in social media, in in travel, and yet his number of followers is quite... Thank you for the tour there, Rick. I'm enjoying the tour as we're going around. For those on the podcast, he's giving a 360. Uh, but Charles McCool doesn't have a huge following, but he has phenomenal engagement, which is why he ranks almost everyone, outranks anyone on clout. And the people who uh, you know, he is bigger with, they have tens and hundreds of thousands of followers and he still beats them. 
in terms of clout because he knows engagement. And that's why Charles was one of the first people I tapped on the head and said, Charles, you've got to come and speak at TBEX Island. You've got a lot you can teach people. So, uh, yeah, I would say deep, deep, meaningful engagement. Um, engage more, post less. Uh, post less would be my uh, experience with uh, social media, my recommendations. And you mentioned Charles. Actually, he has been a guest just uh, a couple of days ago. So make sure you watch that episode too. Uh, he gave some great insights into uh, how to travel happy. And uh, uh, you know, he's uh, I think uh, Clout. He's uh, ranked number two travel expert, travel authority, travel influence in the world. So yeah, highly recommend uh, listening and watching that interview. Uh, you mentioned a family. Tell us more. You're starting a family. Tell us more, Shane. Yeah, well, uh, Maureen and I. The time had come, and Maureen's from Kenya. She's of the Kikuyu tribe, and uh, and uh, we've known each other a long time, and it just felt right, you know. And we were very blessed in April this year, our daughter Avalon, uh, Avalon Malaika Dallas. So Avalon, because it was really interesting because Avalon is the Western name and Maureen chose it. And the middle name is the Swahili name. And I chose it, which was Malaika, which means angel, which is actually an Arabic name as well. So I know when I said Malaika, people said, oh, do you know that's actually Arabic for Swahili, uh, for angel? And that's because... Swahili actually is derived from Arabic uh, and coastal languages, so some of the words are the same. And, I mean, it's just an absolute joy. It, it does make some things a challenge. So, for example, during Twitter chats, TRLT, normally Maureen and I are there together. And uh, last night, uh, just wasn't possible, was it? So I'm there on my own. And just little things. So we, we used to post on Instagram three times a week and do all the responses and the follow-up, and it just became too time-consuming, especially with a little one around. So we decided... Let's just do two. Uh, so it's great. We're looking forward to getting her on her first trip and, and giving her exposure to experiences I never had and that Maureen never had. And, and so for me, I mean, my first trip out of Australia was over 20. Uh, and my father's not around anymore. He passed away uh, quite a few years ago now. He never left Australia. My mum was, uh, was born in Germany, so she saw a little bit more. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I wish... I could see more of the world, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I wish when I was a child, uh, I could have seen more of the world. But in Australia, it's hard because we're a long way from anywhere. Uh, but I think once we get little Avalon's passport, then it will open up doors to different places to her and get her on a plane to foreign countries. And she's going to see it. I mean, my first overseas country, I was 20, wasn't I? Yeah, 2021. And uh, she's going to see it in the first year. So... Uh, and the, what I've learned of the world and seen of the world, that the fact is that uh, the more you travel, the more you realize how similar we are as people, that the similarities that unite us are more significant you know, than the differences that divide us. And, and coming into a, a multiracial home, because Avalon effectively is, she will see that more, you know, that uh, mummy's one skin color and daddy's the other skin color. Therefore, all skin colors are different, but that's okay. That's fine and it's quite normal. And for that is a real blessing and that we can show her the world through someone who's traveled a lot and being a bit older, having a child gives you that maturity uh, as well. So it's, it, yeah, it's going to change the way we travel, but I'm still going to be going off on the places of my own. You know, I'm still going to lead tours of my own. It's going to be very difficult with a year old baby to lead a tour. So I'll still be I'll sure that the ladies of the house will stay here. Um, but I mean, I'll still be going off on my own, for example, uh, you know, if I'm going off to explore Djibouti, I've always wanted to see the salt camel caravans. That they pile all the salt on the camels and they go across the, the salt pans. Now, I'd love to see that, but that's really not a place for a child. 
So if I go off for a week, that's okay. Uh, but uh, the more I've traveled, the realize, because I traveled continuously for three and a half years and I started slowing down. The longer I traveled, the slower I traveled. And having a base was really important to be productive because instead of searching around for, oh, where do I stay next? Where's my next flight? Uh, how do I negotiate a better price here? The buses and everything. You focus on building your business and building your connections. And so having a base is really important, even if it's only for a couple of months. But traveling around like you do on a holiday every week, you're not going to do that long term. Trust me, it's not going to work. And so we slow down and we, we're very happy to have a home and a base and uh, to move off when I'm needed. And I I'm basically go off every six to eight weeks anyway and off traveling. So um, sometimes it's every two weeks, but overall every six weeks I'm, I'm on the road again. And, uh, and when Avalon Malaika, who's just standing over there, is a little bit older, then uh, she will come on one of these journeys and uh, we, will, we will see the world through her eyes and, uh, and that will be a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And as a fellow dad, I just want to echo that. I mean, uh, I have three kids and we, uh, you know, left it all behind in Vancouver, BC, Canada to travel with them. Uh, my son just turned one in May and he's already been to four continents, almost 10 countries. And, uh, you know, how many babies have that claim to fame? They, uh, you know, uh, our son Renzo, he's been to uh, North America, South America, Asia, Africa already. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, most of us who are in the 40s, 50s, 60s, we still haven't seen four continents. So I'm really setting him up for success, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I can relate on that uh, multi-ethnic front too. I mean, I'm Indian, born in Canada. My wife's Filipino, immigrated to Canada. We met at our local church. And then uh, now we have mixed babies, Indian, Filipina. And uh, <laughs> and uh, they don't understand uh, about uh, differences in color or culture. They just accept it. And uh, I think that's a very good thing. And I think yeah. the world is becoming much more one race rather than multi-races. Yeah, I agree. And that's very impressive. You're one you all has already been to four continents. That's... Wow, that's very impressive. <laughs> yes, thank you, Shane. Uh, hey, Shane, I, I know you have to go soon. So tell us about what are some of your bucket list items? I mean, you've been to over 100 countries you mentioned, and uh, you've seen a lot of the major tourist attractions, so to speak, around the world. And I know you have a big passion for the road less traveled. So uh, let's kind of spin the question a little bit. What are your, uh, the road less traveled bucket list items? I've never been to Antarctica. Uh, and I've never been to South America. So Antarctica has been my number one since the 80s. Uh, and I've never got there. West Africa fascinates me. I've never been to West anywhere in Western Africa. And I'd love to see that part of the world. I, there's a, Uzbekistan has eluded me for some reason. Of all the stands, I haven't seen Uzbekistan, Pakistan, or Turkmenistan. So that would be nice to cut off. Everyone talks very fondly of Iceland. So that would be something that I'd... I'd love to see as well. Um, but that, that would probably be my major ones. You know, Western Africa is a big gap on my travel map. And I would dearly love to see places such as Mali and Benin and Togo, Ghana and Senegal. I, I would really dearly love to see them. And uh, Antarctica, yes, I'd love to see. If I see Antarctica, I'm going to see South America. So it really is those two. And those last three stands uh, and Saudi. Saudi's the last country in the Middle East I've not seen. And so those for me would be really, I'd really like to see them. And I've never seen any of the countries of the former Yugoslavia, Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia. I've never seen any of them. And I actually have through marriage on my mum's side, so through distant relatives, relatives that come from there and I've never been there. So there's so much of the world to see and you can't see it all. But I would say if I had to pick one, Antarctica, if I had to pick the second one, I'd say West Africa would be my top two, somewhere in West Africa. 
Awesome, Shane. Uh, you know, you've given us uh, so much tangible advice. If people wanted to find out more, you know, pick your brain, uh, you know, see some of your videos, your social media, uh, what are the different avenues by which people can reach you, Shane? Well, the Travel Camel, so the Travel Camel. Uh, you will find me easily on Twitter and Instagram. That's the handle. I'm on Shane Dallas. Just look, there's a photo of me wearing this hat. And that will be on Facebook and Google+. Facebook also have the Travel Camel page but it's not really active at the moment and there's the website thetravelcamel.com and from there there's a contact me page but uh you know happy happy to answer any questions from anyone really uh it, if i'm on the road it may take me a bit of time to get back to you like tajikistan there's not a lot of internet so i might be uh, off the grid for a week or and a bit but generally i try to get back to everyone when i can uh and of course if uh, if you're at TBEX, you just come up and say, as we say in Australia, say g'day to me there. And uh, you'll see me in TBEX Europe in, in October. Well, hey, thanks so much for all your time, uh, all of your wisdom, all your experience and expertise sharing with our viewers and listeners. Um, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. We'll catch you in the next episode.